whips it across now for Seabrook. Seabrook from center ice. Lays it all on the board to bounce it down in front of Brigola. Loose puck here for Kane. He scores! Patrick Kane! What hands! He ends it! And Chicago is headed to the Western Conference Final! We've often said the sportscasters is nothing if not a fluent process, uh, one that does not necessarily from week to week have a beginning and an end, and this week is very much so that case. <laughs> As we record here at 5.08 p.m. on Wednesday, the only actual interview that I know for sure is that going to happen at a specific day and time is Kenny Albert at 8 o'clock p.m. tonight. Sometime tomorrow... We will interview Richard Deitch, and then sometime either tonight or tomorrow, we'll interview Tim Graham. I'm 99% sure all those interviews are going to happen, just not really sure when. Right. And this podcast will go up when all of them happen, and we can piece them together and upload them and things like that. So, just another week here at the Sportscaster. <laughs> Season 4, episode 15th, uh, what is it, May... 14th, 2014. A little hot here in Buffalo, although it's about to cool way the F down. I think we're going to have like a 45-degree difference in the high from yesterday to the low tomorrow. Sweet. So it's very Buffalo-like. But uh, we have a great show, like I said. Uh, Kenny Albert has been calling all kinds of hockey games on the NBC Sports Network this playoffs. Been doing the uh, Penguins-Rangers series. I've heard him on a bunch of different series, so it's exciting. It's gonna be exciting to uh, to talk to him about that. Richard Dudge is gonna talk to us a little bit about. We always kind of get him on around this time to see what's coming up in sports media over the summer, and also to see how the NFL Network and ESPN did covering the draft. It's always kind of interesting to me. And uh, the Bills were one of the more active and interesting teams in the draft, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And Tim Graham's gonna join us to talk about that and fighting with people on Twitter which is one of uh, <laughs> Tim's favorite pastimes. <laughs> He's great. <laughs> he loves it. Uh, but uh, also, um, we're going to do the three opinions, our beta uh, segment again, which is still very much in beta, yeah. as we'll prove later. And uh, we have a book club update that's more like book club news. Uh, and then we'll close out with uh, one last thing. So let's get this started with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Count of three. Alrighty, I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever! (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. I just asked Don as that was ending, should we start with the draft or should we start with the playoffs? And since the NFL draft did a 6.8 overnight rating, which almost doubled the NBA and NHL playoff games combined, I guess we'll start with the draft. Yeah, I guess so. So first I have a couple questions for you. So I'm pretty sure that we signed off last week with you saying that you wanted Watkins, Evans, or the tight end. Right. So you got Watkins. Are you okay with how it happened? 
because it was expensive. Yeah, yeah, it's expensive, and by the chart, they really overpaid for it too. Um, now, do you think that? I th- I think it was me. It might have been both of us. Kind of floated this potential theory that I can't remember if we came up on our own or if maybe we had read it somewhere about these guys, Whaley and Marone, maybe looking this as their last chance at drafting and having a team based on new ownership, and they might push all the chips in. Do you think they did that? You know, well, as soon as they drafted him, uh, Whaley had a press conference and said, we expect to make the playoffs this year. And if that's the attitude, then great. You know, I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, I don't think I talked about how good I thought their roster was. I don't think they're that far off. If, if Manuel takes the step that a lot of quarterbacks take between the first and second year, they could be a team. I mean, New England every year looks ripe to be dethroned in the division, and Miami and the Jets aren't exactly powerhouses. So you don't have to win the division to get in either. That's true, yeah. right. Uh, they did give up a lot, but my thought is we don't pay that till next year. You know what I mean? It, it didn't cost anything. It doesn't cost anything right now. So... I don't know. I mean, ask me in September if they start 0-3 or something like that, and then I'll start thinking about that draft pick. But. Tell me about the emotions as you're sitting there watching and the Cleveland's logo is on, and then all of a sudden it's the Bills logo and kind of what went through your mind. I was a little bit shocked that all the rumors about them trying to move became true because uh, just rumors don't always work out. And It seems like with the Bills, they've always been kind of tight-lipped in the past. Like Any rumors would kind of be guessing. But it was like, oh, wow, they really did do this. And then my thought was, this better not be for Mac. Well, I wouldn't have even hate. I hated it necessarily because at least it's like a sexy position. But my thought is, this better not be for Matthews. Matthews. Right. Yeah, like you can't give up that much for a stupid offensive lineman. I'm sure he's – I mean, even the way I've heard him talked about, his, the way they talk about him is his floor is the lowest. It's like, ugh, that's what you, that's the best you can do. Like Greg Robinson's supposed to be pretty raw, but they said he has like a wicked high ceiling. Like when I seen the logos changed, I said they're taking Sammy Watkins right now. The and then I was like, oh, Cleo Mack is there. That's the only other player. There's no way they moved up five spots to take an offensive line. No, and the Cleo Mack thing was just sort of a. Hometown, yeah, yeah. I really thought they were going to take Watkins. And what I, what I like about Watkins is a lot. What I liked about when they took when they took Manuel last year was the first quarterback off the board. So that's their guy. They have no one to blame for that pick but themselves. I mean, I know every time someone drafts a player, it's like, oh, this is the guy we wanted all along because they're not going to say they wanted somebody else that got picked. But I think you can make the argument that Watkins was the number one player on their board. Over Clowney, over Mac. Oh, I would think that on ninety percent of the boards, there's probably only two or three players who could be number one on each board. Right, and I, I think he's one of the guys. Right. So from from that perspective, if you're going to go up to get the guy that you think is the best player coming into the league this year, then that's going to cost something, and hopefully, it's going to cost you your ninth pick this year and your twenty third pick next year. It's pretty similar to what the Falcons did to get. Julio Jones. Julio Jones. And I don't know for sure if that's worked out per se or not. Right. If they win a home game in the NFC Championship game, we'd probably sure. be saying it absolutely worked out. Somehow they managed to blow that. <laughs> I mean, but they're the Falcons, so that's what they do. Yeah, I mean, uh, if Sammy, Sammy Watkins becomes Julio Jones or hopefully better, A.J. Green maybe, 
I, I mean, I wouldn't expect him to be Calvin Johnson, but that's arguing maybe that he's not going to be the best, one of the best receivers ever. But I had a very similar moment as you uh, waiting. I think I said on the podcast last week, I really wanted to see the Saints draft uh, Lee from USC. And the only reason I probably said that is because I never dreamed that they would be in a position to pick Brandon Cooks. Uh, I figured he would be a top 15 to 20 pick, and I wasn't thinking they would move down as far as they did. But I think I mentioned, I, I know I mentioned I love Bree's economics, as in we'll just pay figure whatever we later. have to pay now and figure out the salary cap ramifications when Breeze retires. And I think I said last week that they should deal with the draft in the same way. And I feel like they did. They identified a guy who is going to make the offense much better, a guy who can do a lot of different things. The return game was awful last year. He's going to have a chance to return punts. Uh, Darren Sproles is gone. This is a guy who can catch the ball in similar ways to Darren Darren Sproles wasn't a running back for the Saints. Right. He was basically a wide receiver, sort of. And uh, Lance Moore is gone as well. I think it was a great pick. Uh, I love a kid who uh, wins money for being the fastest player at the combine in the 40 and spends the money on uh, a car for his mom. Oh, I didn't hear that. You know, I mean, I just think he's a great kid. I, it was a dream come true for them to get him. And if it cost him a third round pick, who cares? Is he better? They can give, give away the third round pick every year from now until forever to move up nine spots or seven spots in the first round. Yeah. My uh, knowledge of college football generally is limited to like, the guys that are going to be there around where the Bills picks are usually early. So I, I have no idea who Brandon Cooks is. But when I when I looked at like his raw numbers, he looks like a Devery Henderson or Robert Meacham. Is he better than Devery Henderson or Robert Meacham? He's better in the sense that he's a more dynamic football player, I think. He, he just doesn't run in straight lines. He's smaller, really? though. Okay. But, I mean, if you watch his highlight tape, it's just him outrunning everyone. Okay. Which isn't as easy in the NFL, obviously, because... Because um, their hope is they drafted of, who though Percy Harvin, like that type of player. That would be that Percy Harvin's fair, I suppose. I mean, Percy Harvin's probably a better player. I, I think for sure. I mean, Ta- this guy Ta- Tavon Austin. This guy fair? hasn't played. Yeah, I, I think he can be better than Tavon Austin based on okay. what I seen from Austin last year. But uh, he's a guy. He's just perfect for them. Mm-hmm. They lost Sproles. And they lost more, both by choice, by the way. They traded Sproles and decided not to re-sign right. uh, more. And this is a guy who can fit that role. And they needed a wide receiver badly, and they got one. And then in the second round, they drafted a big, tall cornerback. So I feel like they did a great job. I loved their draft. Yeah, I so, felt like the Bills... Uh, I was super happy with it. I was almost surprised to hear it. I did keep up with the draft all weekend, but... They made something like seven trades or something in four days. And I mean, I know one of them is the Bryce Brown trade from the Eagles, too. But uh, I felt like, okay, they moved up in the drafts just so they could go home. Like, they don't want to do anything else for the next couple of days. It's great to see Johnny Manziel sit back in that room and squirm around for a while. Not a big fan of the guy, honestly. Yeah, and now he's going to go to Cleveland where they're already, like, that owner is a weirdo, huh? Yeah. And Josh Gordon is totally F them. Yeah, being Josh Gordon. Yeah, that they can't be surprised. The Reddit, it's just the kind of guy he is. The Reddit thread on he can't appeal it. Yeah, the Josh Gordon thing is hilarious. They're just like this is the brownest thing that has ever browned. Like this is just so right. they have the day they have, 
making the good trade with the Bills, moving up to get uh, – I don't remember who they got. Corner? Uh, the cornerback the corner. from Oklahoma right. State. I can't think of his name right now. Top cornerback in the right. draft. Yeah, they move up to get a corner, and they still get the quarterback that was rumored to go there anyway real late in the draft. So they're – they got to be as as high as a fan base can be. Yeah, their GM did a great job. Ray Farmer, I think his name is. Did a great job. And then the next day, uh, Josh, Josh Gordon, Gordon is out. suspended for the year. And they just lost another receiver, too, didn't they? At best, Josh Gordon's going to miss eight games next year. Right. And didn't I, I want to say they lost another receiver like the uh, next day. Yeah, Nate Perlison. Yeah. It's Although he's supposed to be back for training camp. Oh, okay. But, yeah, he rebroke his arm, the one that he broke in that pizza accident. <laughs> That's right, in the car accident right. trying to catch the pizza. Yeah. That's right. So, anything else from the draft? That I mean, I had fun watching it. I always do. Uh, I The ratings were incredible, which means, unfortunately, we may have to RIP April drafts. Although, I guess there is going to be a strong pushback from everyone in the league. I guess the commissioner is literally the only one who had any love for the May draft. Really? Everyone at every level in the league, coaches, evaluators, everyone hated it. Um, it's just two weeks that they could have been doing other things. Could have been getting these rookies developed, whatever. Uh, so hopefully the commissioner realizes that last year's draft sucked because it was all linemen. And this year's draft <laughs> yeah, was super that's, interesting that's because it was more about. Johnny Manziel and quarterbacks and... Interest. What do you think about the Jaguars uh, picking? Uh... I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like Christian Pond. I mean, what's weird to me about the draft is these players, a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, uh, a guy like Johnny Manziel, these guys that could go as high as number one. Blake Bortles was rumored to Houston at number one at one point. Johnny Manziel would have been an interesting fit in Houston. Uh, these guys lose stock doing nothing more like not playing games. So it's really bizarre to me, but that said like Andrew luck, wasn't going to lose that stock. So there wasn't an Andrew luck. There wasn't an RG three. There wasn't a Peyton Manning in this draft. So to, to take him, I don't know. I don't know. It just seems like a Jaguars move to make, but if you're the Jags, I'd be excited that I got a quarterback there that isn't Christian Ponder or, or not, uh, Who's your thing? Blaine Gabbert. Blaine Gabbert, yeah. Well, and then I guess the last thing about the draft, and maybe we even buried the lead here a little bit, is Michael Sam being picked in the seventh round and the ensuing controversy of uh, guys kissing on TV and uh, video from a game. I I mean, I've said many times on this uh, podcast, I'm potentially uh, naively indifferent about things like this. It just doesn't matter to me. I just don't care. I I am glad for Michael Sam that he got drafted, but from a football standpoint, he still got to make I it. would think he would have been better off not being drafted. Jason Collins was getting interviewed even after this. I think he said something funny like, "We're gay. We have boyfriends." <laughs> In response to them, like the kiss thing. Oh, okay. You know, I thought that was kind of funny. Like, yeah, yeah we're gay. We have boyfriends. But yeah, I th- th- this will be a story all, all year long. I mean, Manziel is going to be the big story all year probably, but this will be... Can you think of a team with better defensive linemen than the St. Louis Rams? And you don't keep a lot of defensive linemen. I no, don't but from what I understand... keep I, more than six. I mean, that's his home. That's his college town. Yeah, that's great. So, right. But it's going to Oh, you're talking about up. him getting cut? Yeah. Yeah. He very well could. I mean, from what I understand, Collins has bounced around to a few teams and he's 
terrible right now. Like, so just because he's the first gay athlete doesn't mean he's any good. So, I mean, congratulations, yeah, Michael good. Sam. Like all the draft picks. Sure. You know, I mean, it's an amazing thing to be drafted in the NFL, and I respect his happiness, and I have no real problem with him kissing his boyfriend. I don't understand the whole like. I have to explain this to my kids thing. Like, yeah, seems like there's a lot more difficult. I don't have kids, but it seems like there's a lot more difficult things in the world to explain to a kid yeah. than that. I mean, I don't know. I, Dad, why is that guy kissing that guy? Well, they love each other. I don't know. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some, some seem boys that like complicated. Boys. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Whatever. Like I said, I've been naively. I might be naively indifferent, but I am indifferent mostly. And uh, I think he's going to have a t- hard time making the Rams. And Jeff Fisher very boldly proclaimed he'll have no problem cutting him if he doesn't earn a spot on the team. As he should. I think it so. would be. It would be. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the term is. It's not sexist, but it'd be homophobic to keep him on the team because of fear that of ramifications. Like you got to treat him like any other player, right? And I think he respect. He'll respect and, and like that. I, I would hope so. All right, uh, number two this week, the NBA and NHL playoffs are moving on with uh, great, fierce, fierce velocity and exciting play. And yeah, just uh, the NBA playoffs maybe tell out a little bit in the sense that the Miami Heat and the Spurs are going to the finals, right? I mean, is anyone beating either of those teams? No, it doesn't seem like it. I mean, nobody's beating the Heat in the East. Someone, I, I checked the uh, scores the other day, and they did lose a game, though. It bummed me out. Right, yeah, they're not going to go 16-0. But they're they're up 3-1 to one over Brooklyn. Uh, LeBron James had 49 points the other night in the last win. Um, they have a game five at home tonight. So by the time you heard this, they've probably already moved on. Uh, the other series in the East is 3-2. to two. Indiana leads Washington. And I think the winner of that has the right to lose to Miami in 4-5. or five. <laughs> Indiana did have some success against the Heat last year. Kind of pushed them right to the limit. But Indiana's been a mess all playoffs. Uh, so I don't know what to hope for there. Oklahoma City and the Clippers played an unbelievable game last night. Which unfortunately was wrecked by the officials. Who in the last 10 seconds, uh, with the Clippers up two, called a foul uh, on Chris Paul, who had apparently fouled Westbrook, make, who was attempting a three-pointer, and I just oh, no. don't see it. I, I don't know. He made all three, and then there was a second or two left, and Clippers didn't even get a shot off. So Oklahoma City leads that series 3-2 to two with all the distractions with the Clippers. I'm not really sure if they can come back or not. Uh, but the Spurs, like the Heat, uh, lead 3-1. to one, And by the time you listen to this, they may have officially steamrolled over Portland by winning their Game 5 at home. Uh, it just seems and feels very much like a repeat of uh, Heat-Spurs in the finals this year in basketball. In the NHL, uh, my personal bracket is up to 10-0 now. Wow. As the uh, Rangers uh, beat the Penguins last night 2-1 to one in a game that honestly... The reason you don't like playing game sevens is because sometimes bad bounce. The goalie oh. can steal it, and that's what happened last night. The king was the king, especially in the third period. Rangers had a two to one lead. I think the final shots in the game were thirty six to twenty, so about two to one. And uh, Henry Lundqvist just wasn't going to let the Penguins score. 
Does and, Dan Biles? Uh, that's it for the Penguins. Or Ray Shero make it to next season? They shouldn't. Yeah, I don't think so either. They shouldn't. Uh, since the Penguins won the Stanley Cup, they've won five series. Two of them were against the Ottawa Senators. One was against the New York Islanders. And one was against whatever team they beat in the first round this year. That's slipping my mind. Wow. It wasn't uh, it was a very good team. Philly. Columbus. Oh, Columbus. Right, 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 right. So they have five playoff wins, uh, and none of them are above a fifth seed. Wow. So that's where they stand since they won the Stanley Cup in 2009. Yeah, I saw it criticized or heard someone criticize on the radio that they let I know it was a big deal at the time because it worked out for them, but the year they lost the first Stanley Cup to Detroit with uh, Hosa as a Penguin. Right. They let him go to Detroit because, and he famously said something along the lines of because he wanted to go where he had the best chance to win. And they won it. And then, well, Pittsburgh beat Detroit right. that year. Right. Right. Since then, Hosa's won two, two cups. Stanley Cups, and right. he's Chicago. It just is. He looks like they could win another one. So, I mean. And that's a guy Cheryl let go. And uh, again, was playing great. And they couldn't, for whatever reason, Bowsman couldn't figure out anything for him to do with that team last year. Right. Yeah. I don't know if that's on. That's got to be on Bowsman. Yeah, more, that's I on guess. Bilesma. So. And then it's on you know Cheryl for not re-signing him. He was like a sixty-point player this year. Yeah. So I. And I, I know they've denied it, but Sidney Crosby's hurt. He just is. Yeah. I mean, the CBC did something like taping them skating from blue line to blue line in January oh, and yeah. now, and it's like way off time-wise, and he's not shooting the puck much. I think his shots in this year's playoffs compared to last year's way down. He's in, he's hurt. That team just isn't isn't good, really. I mean, they've got that's a two-line team. It's really a two-player team. Their their blue line is no good. Some of the guys we didn't think were good stepped up as it went on. For example, Latang got much better and played pretty well as the playoffs went on. Yeah, and but he's one of those top six guys, and I mean, he's supposed to be good. They they get nothing out of their bottom two lines. And Theo Fleury, or excuse me, not Theo, uh, Mark Andre <laughs> Fleury was more than adequate for them. Sure, in yeah. these playoffs, no, he made some great saves in the third period when the Penguins were pressing, and the Rangers got an odd man break here or there. Big saves to keep it at one goal. Yeah, he was bad in a couple of games. He had one bad game right. in Columbus. Right. And that was really away. one bad minute. Right. He got out of the net, gave up a goal, and then let in a bad goal in overtime because he's probably rattled from the other goal. So it, it's, it was not him. And uh, the Rangers will wait and play the winner of Game 7 tonight. This has been the best second yeah, round it's, it's matchup. what Boston and Montreal do, right? I've seen a tweet today. Uh, Boston and Montreal playing a game seven in the night of a full moon. You can't make that stuff up. Yeah, and I look. I know I'm a Boston hater, but I, I don't I'm not exactly either. Team. I'm not exactly a Montreal yeah. fan either. But I, I don't know how Boston gets away with what they get away with. Like yeah. their players never face any supplemental discipline for anything. Uh, Chara, he gets the pronger treatment. I mean, that's not original commentary from me, but everyone says that. I guess once you get good enough, you can just beat the hell out of people and get away with it. I mean, it's almost like Tyler Myers seems to take penalties. Uh, that it's just like you could see him basically saying, I- I'm just big. You know what I mean? Like, I hit that guy in the head because I'm big. Chara, he's big, but they're like, it's almost an excuse for him. Well, that guy just fell down because Chara's big. We can't penalize 
he beats the hell out of people. I would love him on my team. I mean, if if you were drafting a team for one year, he might be the first player you pick. The listeners are going to know who won this game by the time they hear yeah, it. So yep. tell them how smart you are and tell them who it's going to be. Uh-huh, because I hate Boston more, it'll be Boston. And it's in Boston. Uh, I'd love to say otherwise. I, I don't know. I picked the Canadians, and I'm 10-0 in my brackets, so it's ti- probably time for me to lose one. So I'm just... I think I picked the Boston's Canadians in my bracket it. too. I think I think I picked the Canadians. I might be undefeated in the East still. I think I picked them to move on. Yeah, the West is where you were real screwed because you picked San Jose all the way. Right, right. Uh, and then speaking of the West, the Blackhawks finished off a wild team. That's a good team, and if they add Thomas Vanek and get stabilized goaltending, that's going to be a contending team. They were better than in I the thought, league. and they're great at home. I mean, they're a great home team. Last night was the only home game they lost all playoffs. Yeah, they were better than they I thought. They were a really good team. Kane said as much, too, that they were much better than the team they that they played, played last year. They played two very good teams. I mean, they, they did. Yeah. Colorado was a year ahead of probably where they're, you would think they would be at this point. But, I mean, Nathan McKinnon blew up in that series, yeah. you know, and they were still able to get out of that. And then to play a team against Chicago, who now, in the Kane and Taves era, have never lost a game in a series tied 2-2. Two to two. Wow. So anytime <laughs> that's un- that's those guys have been in a two to two series, they've won it four to two. Yeah, I think with how good Boston and Pittsburgh are supposed to be, it gets a little bit lost. But Chicago might be a dynasty. They might be a modern day dynasty. And unless Pat Kane, and I know everyone in Buffalo is like crossing their fingers, unless Pat Kane gets bored winning championships there and decides to move and come home to Buffalo to be a to be a god it's doubtful there's no reason to think that this will not continue on i mean there's an example of a phenomenal general manager and there's an example of the penguins effing up because they picked jordan stahl instead of jonathan taves yeah whoops <laughs> yeah i mean imagine your top three centers are taves can uh taves malkin and crosby yeah i mean i don't know if you'd be able to, to afford that anyway. long term right. but You'd have a better defense or a better goalie something. or something. Right. Uh, uh, last year, we've gone really long yeah. already. Uh, the Ducks are better than I thought they were, I guess. I mean, yeah, better than advanced stats thought. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I The Kings could still easily win. Sure. And John, John Gibson's the story. I mean, he's changed the series. Yeah, well, that's a ballsy move. Guy that had five regular season starts, something like he's that. He's a 1993 birth year. Yeah, that's, that's Anthony insane. scored three goals on him in one game in the USHL. <laughs> really? He's, Anthony was two years older than him at the time, and he was probably, let's think how old he would have been that year. He was on the under-17 so developmental or team. So or se- 16 yeah. or 17. Wow. Because you could still be 17, oh, okay. you know, technically. Right. So you only have to be 16 when you make it. Right. But, um, yeah, John Gibson's a stud. He's going to be a number one goalie for a long time. And uh, Anaheim is good, and uh, if the Kings are going to want to beat them, they're going to have to uh, win a game seven in Anaheim. Yeah. So we'll see how it plays out. I don't think we're going to do a show next week. I haven't mentioned this to you yet, but I don't think we're going to. When we do eventually do a show, say, I don't know, 10 or 11 days from now, who are, what are the finals going to be in each conference and whereabouts is the lead going to be? Let's assume they've each played, I don't know. Three games by then? I don't think I can pick against Chicago. So call it 2-1 in the West in favor of Chicago. Over? I guess Anaheim is the safer bet. Okay. Uh, 
And boy, I don't know. The Rangers, it's kind of like what we said about Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has got where they were with getting not a lot out of Crosby. I know he was he had his assists, but I mean nothing on the goal scoring side. The Rangers are doing pretty well getting nothing out of Rick Nash. Right. So I guess it depends how the Rangers can hold up to getting beat up and can they play that physical style or do they just ignore it uh, against Boston, which might be the way to go. I, yeah, that's a tough series. I I'll say it's two one Boston because I don't like I don't like them. <laughs> All right, uh, last thing, third thing we have on really long. Here's a short one, but Don had fun with this when we did it last time. Uh, the NFL keeps track of jersey sales, and they've been keeping track of jersey sales since the NFL draft, and have released a top five list of. The drafted players? Drafted players. Jersey sales. So it's a little less than a week. Uh, this story is only six hours old. So Really? Yeah. Okay, oh, I thought I heard this. Already. So it's updated okay, to updated within the last six hours. That's good because I... You didn't when you mentioned it, I didn't think of it, but I do think I heard the story. So and maybe it's changed, maybe it hasn't since when you read it. But I'm just curious who you think one through five, how it plays out. Uh, I Johnny Manziel is number one. Blake Bortles is number five. Clowney is number three. See now, some of this I remember thinking it had to do with the players not having numbers. So the last think... two left are a quarterback drafted in the first round and a player we've oh, already it's talked Michael about. Michael Sam's right is one of them. He's number two, so you're only Which missing. Which is unreal, right? You're only missing, and I guess uh, many of those jerseys were sold with the number ten on them, and he's officially now number ninety-six. Sam's yeah. Oops. Yeah. So I don't know what they're going to do about that. Yeah, I I don't know. That's a, that that seems like as political a jersey sale. Like if you're you're buying that jersey to like say I'm supportive type yeah. thing, yeah. Uh, so I guess you probably don't care too much about the number. Um, the other quarterback, there weren't mon- many quarterbacks. He was the last to. pick in the first round. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Teddy Bridgewater. Yep. So to repeat, it goes Johnny Football number one, Michael Sam number two, Clowney number three, Bridgewater number four, and Bortles number five. I like the Bridgewater pick. By the way, we didn't really get to him, but. Adrian Peterson had to be doing backflips when they picked. Oh this hell up. yeah! Because who did they draft before that? Like an and you should see Adrian Peterson do a backflip. He's one of the best <laughs> in the world, from what I've heard, at backflips. I bet. Yep. All right, we are going to take a break and come back with Kenny Albert. Our next guest is from New York City, New York, and is a graduate of New York University. He's called hockey games for the Baltimore Skipjacks, Washington Capitals, the NHL on ESPN2, NHL Radio, and the NHL on Fox, and of course the New York Rangers. Since 1994, he has called NFL football games for Fox, and since 2007 has worked on one of the network's top broadcast teams. Over the past couple of weeks, he has called several NHL playoff games for the NBC Sports Network. And as a great fan, friend of the podcast, Warm Sportscasters, welcome to the awesome Kenny Albert. What's up, Kenny? Hey, Steve. How are you? Very good. How are you doing? You uh, jet-lagged yet? Uh, 
you know what? I'm doing well. Uh, this is the first day off in a while. I think it's been 10 in a row and 24 out of 27, but who's counting? But uh, it's good to sit back and have a couple of days here, keeping my eye on the games tonight and look forward to the next round. Yeah, I want to talk to you about the hockey, but before we get to that, I kind of want to talk to you about calling the hockey a little bit first. And um, one thing that I want to say kind of started maybe post-lockout, not this one, but the one before this one, uh, if that makes any sense, the 2005-ish one, is the kind of the idea of having the guy between the glass. And I think it kind of first started with that being an extra guy, and as it's evolved, it it's almost for many broadcasts, if not all of them, it's I know in Buffalo, the television broadcasts here, which is simulcast as the radio broadcast, this season they went to Rick Jenneret being alone in the booth and Rob Ray being in between the glass for every game. And I was thinking about this uh last night watching the game that you called and uh thinking about the way you uniquely call football games with having one guy in the booth, and one guy on the field. So having said all that, two separate questions. So let's start with the first one. What is it like for you calling a hockey game, uh, being alone in the booth, and having the guy you're working with being down on the ice in between the benches? Well, it's a great question. I guess I'm used to it because I've worked with uh, Daryl Johnson and Tony Saragusa now for seven years. So with Goose down on the field, it, it does add a bit of a different element. Uh, the only difference, well, one of the differences is in football, uh, there's one play and then there's 25 or 30 seconds. Then there's another play, 25 or 30 seconds for the color analysts to get in. Whereas in hockey, during continuous play, um, you know, there's not a set formula like there is in football. If Pierre's downstairs and I'm upstairs, you know, I'll lay out at certain times when the puck's not in the offensive zone and he can come in if he'd like. And if not, I'll continue along with the play by play. Now, on occasion, I have worked with uh, one up and one down in hockey um, on some of the NBC games. And, of course, I do radio, of course, as well for the Rangers. And my partner, Dave Maloney, is upstairs with me. But it was a bit of a challenge at first getting used to it because you can't look over at your partner and, and use hand signals and nonverbal communication because he's not in the booth with you. He's a couple hundred feet away. But I think I've done it enough now where, where I am used to it. And, and hopefully uh, we don't talk over each other too much. It will happen every so often. But uh, I think it's worked out well for the most part. Now, is there an, is there an extra level of, uh, of production in this format? Is there more of someone in your ear saying, Kenny, let's let Pierre jump in here on this to kind of prevent you guys walking over each other, or do you guys completely do it on feel? Not very often. Once in a while, uh, more coming out of commercial, I think, if, if Pierre or whoever's down there uh, is going to – talk about a replay package, for example, during that commercial, the, the producer might tell me, let's go down to Pierre. Pierre might take it out of break. But during the actual game, during the flow, not really. It, it's more of a feel between the two of us. Do you think it actually adds something? Like, Do you think that this innovation is a positive one for hockey? I think it does because – if you're both up in the booth, there, there are certain things you could miss. You're not as close to the benches, um, it, action taking place in the corners. You, you can hear stuff down there. So I, you know, I wasn't sure at first when, when I first watched games with uh, the, the analysts downstairs and, and worked some games. But I think now it definitely does add to the telecast because 
whoever it is, whether it's Pierre or, or Joe Micheletti or Brian Engblom, whoever it is downstairs, there are certain things that they'll see and hear down there that they would not otherwise. Now, on the other hand, there are also things they won't see uh, that they might not see until the replay or, or until I say something about it. So there are definitely pluses and minuses, but uh, in my mind, many more pluses. Uh, just kind of by accident this season, I think what happened was there was an elevator out at our arena, and because of that, Rick Jenneret couldn't make it up to the booth, so he actually called the game with Rob Ray in between the glass. Could you ever see that as something you'd be interested in doing, like a broadcast with the two of you together in that spot as opposed to up in the booth? Uh, I did hear about that. In fact, I saw the picture of Rick with the helmet with the on helmet, downstairs right. between yeah. the benches. Um, I would love to do it a couple of times. I don't think I would want to do every game from downstairs because from a play-by-play standpoint, it's too close. Yeah. Our booth at Madison Square Garden up until about 2006 used to be the equivalent of about eight or ten rows up right between the benches. Now it was great as far as the atmosphere and feeling like you're in the game and the crowd's right around you and you could see what's going on on the benches and if there are injuries, you pick them up right away. But in hockey, you need to be a little bit higher now. In many cases, we're all the way at the top of the building, sometimes too high. But I would love to do it a couple of times just, just, just for the kick, you know, just to uh, uh, see and feel the game and, and hear the game from that close. You've uh, called a bunch of different series so far this, this playoffs, and I know that for broadcasters, preparation is so important. Even for a small interview like this, I feel like I've spent all day kind of preparing for it in my head, uh, thinking about things I want to talk about, thinking about things I want to ask you, writing things down, crossing things off. Uh, and I know that on a much bigger scale, calling an NHL playoff game for a network, how important preparation is for you. And like we talked about the differences between football and hockey, uh, with football you have a whole week to prepare for the game. Here you're bouncing from series to series, night to night. Preparation's got to be a little bit trickier. Uh, what are some things that you do to uh, – to prepare for each game and to make sure that you will feel comfortable when the game starts knowing that you've prepared enough to bring your best game forward to call? Well, one positive is as the series develops and, and you work a number of games in that series, uh, you're there. You're calling the game. So you know all the storylines, and it's not like you have eight different games in eight nights involving 16 different teams. For me personally, in each round, I've been involved in two series. In the first round, uh, the Rangers-Flyers on both the radio and TV side, Pittsburgh and Columbus. And then in the second round, Rangers and Penguins, of course, uh, on both the TV and radio side, depending on what game it was. And then five games of the Bruins-Montreal. So it would be a lot harder if, if I were involved in three or four or five series. But with two, uh, you know, you have to manage your time well. Now, I was also traveling a lot either late at night or early in the morning. So uh, I think more important than the actual – uh, more important than worrying about the preparation because I'm confident in uh, the work that I do on the preparation is managing the sleep and the travel because uh, there were there was a stretch where I was only averaging four, five, six hours a night and, and you have to also rest your voice, which, which isn't easy with, uh, with, with that little sleep. So that was probably the number one concern. I got through it, fortunately. Um, but as far as the preparation, like I said, you're at the games for the most part I was at every Ranger-Penguin game and, and five out of the six before tonight, uh, Bruins-Montreal games. But then on the, on the non-game days when I'm traveling to do another game, you have to keep up with the other series. You have to read everything out of both series. You talk to people. You go to the morning skate. So there's a lot that goes into it. But as the series moves along, you have such a good feel for it because you've been at most or all of the prior games. 
Was Boston Montreal maybe the most challenging one then since you didn't necessarily see either of those teams in round one and neither of them were the Rangers? Right. Probably the first game because uh, that's when you're playing catch up and you have to, uh, you know, read everything that took place that was written during the first series and, and you go to those practices before game one. But once that first game is is in the books, then then you feel real confident uh, because because you work that game. So yes, game one was probably more of a challenge, not the actual game, but the preparation and managing your time and making sure you get everything done before that first game. But once the first game is played, I didn't work game two, but I watched it on TV. And then working three through six felt like I was right in the middle of it because I called each of the games. Let's do some hockey stuff. Uh, one thing, uh, this is sort of a hockey thing, but one thing I've been saying for a long time, and not because I'm that smart, but I noticed in the very beginning what a great hockey city Columbus could be. I remember Jeff Sanderson scoring an overtime goal uh, there in the infancy of the team and seeing what a great reaction it got and thinking that can be a great market. And I think we all got a uh, maybe a, a wider view of what a great market that can be for hockey. What was it like being inside and I'm hoping you were in. Yeah, I'm sure you were inside for at least a couple of playoff games there, right? Uh, what, what what was it like to be inside there? And what do you think about Columbus as a hockey market going forward? It was tremendous, Steve. I was there for three of the games, all three uh, home games in Columbus against Pittsburgh, games three, four, and six. And uh, the the one that stands out was was the fourth game when Columbus trailed three right. nothing and came back with three goals in the third period and then won the game in overtime. They tied it late in the third. But the atmosphere was unbelievable. The crowd had waited a long time to see a, a home playoff win. They had only been in the playoffs once prior. That was in 2009 when they were swept by Detroit. So uh, it had been five years, and they had never won a playoff game. And it was great. Fans were lined up early, 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon outside the building. And the weather was beautiful. And it was just a great atmosphere. And Pittsburgh's only a, a two-, three-hour drive from Columbus. So you also had some Penguin fans there, but not as much. Uh, not as many as in the regular season because the the Blue Jacket fans scooped up the tickets. But uh, they're a franchise that's uh, on the way up. John Davidson's the team president. He's done a terrific job. And Jarmo Kekalina, their GM, and the head coach Todd Richards and his staff. So uh, the, the other teams in the Metropolitan Division uh, have another uh, solid team to worry about, in my opinion, for many years, and that's the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah, and... You know, I've been telling a lot of Sabres fans, look at the Blue Jackets loaded with second overall picks and mixes of veterans, and hopefully it doesn't take the Sabres quite as long to build a team that can compete at that level. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they're, I just loved everything about Columbus this playoff run season. Yeah, it was a great yeah. story. and it, You know, it's nice to see a new team have success in the playoffs, and they have a lot of good young players, and, Having covered the Rangers for all these years, uh, Brandon Dubinsky, Artem Anisimov, Federer right. Tutin, a number of ex-Rangers on that Columbus roster, and uh, they're all a big part of it. Ryan Johansson had a terrific year. Jack Johnson, um, still hard to believe he was not on the U.S. Olympic team. And, of course, Sergei Bobrovsky won the Vezina last year, so a big future ahead in Columbus. Let's talk about the Rangers for a second. Uh, already punched their ticket to the conference finals. They've been one of these teams that have looked really great in the the advanced stats. Guys have loved the Rangers all year. Uh, they bear out really well in advanced stats categories. And it seems like at times they, that they struggled this year, it was maybe because Lundqvist wasn't playing his best. And it, you could always just kind of say, you know what, Lundqvist is going to figure it out. And we've seen the best of Lundqvist last night 
in Game 7 where he was just unbelievable, I thought, especially in the third period. But one of the most positive things I would say if I was a Rangers fan is that we've gotten this far and we've gotten virtually nothing out of Rick Nash, and there's no way that that's going to last forever. What are your thoughts on the Rangers as they await an opponent here tonight? As we record this, we'll find out who it's going to be. And do you think, even though we all know the Rangers would never admit it, do you think they match up better or worse with either of the two teams, Montreal or Boston? Well, first of all, it was a tremendous comeback. The Rangers in franchise history had never come back from 3-1 down in a series to win the series. So uh, that was the challenge after they lost Game 4, and it, it looked pretty bleak. But they win Game 5 in Pittsburgh, 5-1, come home and win the Game 3-1. And then Game 7, Lundqvist was out of his mind. I mean, yeah. he was great in Game 6. But, um, you know, before Lundqvist's arrival in New York, the Rangers missed the playoffs seven straight years. And, now with Lundqvist, they've made it eight out of nine, and they've gotten to the second round five times and the conference finals twice, and he's the main reason why. He was he was outstanding, and, you know, you, you run out of superlatives to describe his game, and uh, the defensemen, Ryan McDonough, Mark Stahl, Dan Girardi, Anton Strawman, right on down the line, uh, were great in this series as well. And then uh, up front, balance scoring, the, the Derek Broussard line did most of it, and you mentioned Rick Nash, no goals in 14 games, which is hard to believe, and... Uh, he was doing some of the little things. He was killing penalties and uh, had a number of hits in the series, but uh, they're going to need Rick Nash to score. Uh, they only scored three power play goals in the series. They only allowed one, so they actually outscored the Penguins on special teams. But um, as far as which team they might fare better against, I think up until about 10 days ago, I would have said no question about it, Montreal, uh, with the season Boston had. I thought they were the best team in the league in the regular season, but they seem to have uh, tailed off a bit here in this series against Montreal. They're not playing their best hockey. And Lundqvist throughout his career has not had great success in Montreal at the Bell Center. Hmm. I think he's lost four in a row now, goals against average well over three. So um, I'm not sure, to tell you the truth, Steve, at this point. Um, would have said Boston 10 days ago, like I said, but right now it might be a toss-up. Yeah, and either way, it's going to be a great goalie matchup, whether it's Lundqvist versus Rask or Lundqvist versus Price. I mean, it might be the three best goalies in the Eastern Conference. Uh, one other thing about the Rangers, and I, I want to ask this as delicately as, as possible, so of course I don't mean any disrespect, but do you think that what happened with Marty St. Louis and when it happened, I, I'm not in any way saying this was positive, obviously absolutely tragic, but as for the team, do you think it brought them closer together and, and maybe uh, spark them in a way? Uh, let's not just win one for Marty. Let's do this all for Marty. Let's keep playing. Let's do this. You think it brought him together somehow? If Hopefully that's a respectful way to ask that. I think it did, Steve. You know, first of all, you know, they want to win every game, not just of following right. uh, the passing of Marty St. Louis' mom. But I do think that it, that it galvanized them. And the fact that, the team was with Marty when he found out the news, the tragic news on Thursday. You know, they witnessed his reaction, his emotions, and I think the fact that he came back for Game 5 after flying to Montreal to spend time with his family, I think that uh, really resonated with the players. And then in Game 6, he scores the first goal on Mother's, Mother's Day with his dad right? and his sister mm -hmm. in attendance and was a big part of the game yesterday. So I don't think you're being disrespectful by asking the question because we've all talked about it, and I think, yes, it, it did have... Uh, an impact on the team emotionally. I love that about hockey players. You know, I, it's just the way they look out for each other. And, and it's true of a lot of sports, but it, there's just something about hockey players, maybe just that I'm the closest to hockey players in my life specifically, but just seems like things like this, you can point to several of them over the years, things that have happened that have brought these teams close together. 
you can't win 16 games in the spring in the NHL without being a really tight, close group, if you know what I'm saying. No, you're absolutely right, Steve. Totally agree. Uh, all right, so the Rangers, they're waiting for an opponent. You've called mostly games um, in the East. You've been traveling. You've been busy. But has anything caught your eye in the West? Well, I think you had to be impressed with the Minnesota Wild winning the two games and, and forcing overtime in a game six. Uh, the Ducks-Kings series with the road team winning the first four games, you know, that's certainly one that, that could go the distance, could go seven. And I still think the Chicago Blackhawks uh, have a terrific chance to, to get to the finals and win another Stanley Cup. You know, you look at Kane and Taves and their top players and Keith and Seabrook, a uh, tremendous organization and, um, you know, wasn't looking too good for them after the first two games against St. Louis, but right. they turned things around. And uh, we have at least two original six teams in the uh, conference finals now. We know there'll be a third with either Boston or Montreal. Yeah, and one last thing about the Rangers I forgot to mention. I think Pierre made this point last night, or it might have even been you, one of the two, or maybe the guy's intermission, I don't know. But Chris Kreider, I think, health, and I just noticed a big difference in Stepan's play with Kreider there. I don't know if you had a, an opinion on that, what Kreider brings to the team going forward. Absolutely. He had a major impact. Yeah. He missed 19 straight games, uh, regular season, and then the entire first round against Philly and the first three games against Pittsburgh. And you know, he had such great speed. He, along with Carl Hagelin, are the fastest guys on the team. But he also allows everybody else to slide in where they should be on the lines. And, again, in the, in the four games he's played, the loss in game four and then the three wins, I think he's had a major impact. And I agree with you that Derek Stepan has played better since Kreider's return as well. Yeah, the Rangers got a lot. Well, really, everyone in the NHL now, ton of uh, ton of output from guys who played NCAA hockey. I mean, Stepan... Uh, Kreider, McDonough. Boyle, don't forget McDonough. McDonough, a bunch of them on the Rangers. There's one other one I was thinking of too. I didn't. Brian Boyle, who scored Boyle. the first goal yesterday, Boston Boyle. College. Yeah, two Boston College guys, big for the Rangers. Kreider, had, my brother went on an official visit in Boston College, and he stayed with uh, Kreider was his host there. But, oh, uh, nice. Yeah, but uh, all right. Kenny Albert is at Kenny Albert on Twitter. Uh, he's been calling games on the NBC Sports Network all playoffs. He's always great to us. I actually jokingly said to him in an email. Uh, as we were setting this up, it's okay if he wants to say no to us once in a while because <laughs> he's pretty much 100% uh, saying yes to us, and I think we both want to go back and watch Game 7. But um, thank you so much for doing this tonight. Uh, th- I've totally enjoyed, thought you killed it, all playoffs, all the games you called. Uh, what's uh, what's on your schedule going forward? Are you going to just be calling Rangers radio games now? Is there going to be any more TV? What, what's the rest of your spring like? Well, it's it's in flux a little bit until we know the matchups and the schedule for the next round. But uh, we'll be doing Rangers radio. But uh, we'll there's a good chance I'll be involved in some TV games as well in the next round. Just don't know when and where as of yet. All right. Well, we'll be looking forward to hearing you. Uh, thank you so much for doing this, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Steve. Anytime. Really enjoyed it. All right, I want to thank Kenny Albert for being on the podcast today. Uh, we mentioned uh, as we've been going that uh, it'd be a fluid situation, the podcast today, and this is actually the very last thing I'm recording for the podcast, even though it's going to be like the third thing that you hear over the course of the show. And one thing that we did talk about a few times that unfortunately isn't going to happen this week is Tim Graham being on the show. Uh, Tim's out in California and thought he would be able to make some time uh, to talk about all the craziness with the Bills and fighting with people on Twitter. Uh, but he just wasn't able to work it out. But we will get Tim 
uh, back on the show or on the show real soon anyway. Uh, he's always great to us. Um, so he won't be on this week, even though we mentioned he might be, uh, but he will be on soon. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention here in the book club update is a rare opportunity came across our email in the last uh, week or so. Uh, a couple weeks ago on the podcast, S.L. Price uh, returned for his fourth uh, visit into the sportscasters. And it was another great appearance uh, for Mr. Price. And we're always honored when when he was on. And a couple days ago, I was going through my email. And I had noticed an email that said something along the lines in the subject of uh, S.L. Price told me to get a hold of you or something like that. And uh, I read the email and it was from an author uh, whose name is Bryn Jonathan Butler. And he has a book coming out called A Cuban Boxer's Journey uh, from Castro's Trader to American Champion. And uh, that book is going to be coming out June 3rd. And he asked if we would be interested in doing a podcast with him and S.L. Price, which I guess was Mr. Price's recommendation. He thought the podcast would be a good spot for the two of them who now have both uh, authored books about athletes journeys from cuba to the united states we mentioned uh when we interviewed mr price that he had a book uh about baseball players and the fidel castro uh regime so at some point here between now and the end of the month those two guys are going to record an interview with me uh, about their two books and about athletes in cuba and hopefully that will be pretty interesting and then we're going to feature uh, Bryn's book for our book club book of the month in June. Uh, it's only $3.99 at Amazon, so hopefully a lot of you guys will take the chance to download it and uh, and check it out. So like I said, we're going to do it a little bit out of order as far as the book club goes. This time, we'll probably do the interview before June, and then the book will be the book club book of the month for June, but we don't have anything from now until then anyway, so it's pretty much just the book club book of the month from now until then. So uh, again, Bryn Jonathan Butler is the author. You can look his book up on Amazon and I'll tweet out a link to it at some point. Uh, but we're going to take a break. Uh, we'll come back with Richard Deitch. Uh, then we'll do the three opinions segment and then that will lead right into one last thing. So we'll just kind of skip over the spot where the Tim Graham interview would be and we'll get Tim on soon. Uh, so we'll be right back. <laughs> In your latest column for Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com, Richard Deitch, you wrote that the NFL Draft is a TV show, and this year it was a TV show with really good ratings. Does that mean that we will never have a draft in April again? By the way, as you know, I like the quick. Uh, I, I like. I don't like the elaborate intro. Yeah, you like how, good. how that really was good. You're, you're, that you've, was? You've, you've learned all the lessons. Right. Uh, maybe Dave Damachek does, but I'm not <laughs> sure. And I know Lee Jenkins probably does, but uh, yeah, but I'm different in terms of the NFL draft. I, not necessarily, actually. Um, I think the reason why the ratings were as um, as sky high as they were TV were show. less about the um, build up, which I think helped, but more about the fact that Johnny Manziel was such a uh, well-known 
polarizing figure, and he's a figure that dropped in the draft. So people stayed around in the draft much longer than they might normally because he was falling. Also, you had star quarterbacks in that draft. Whether they turn out to be stars in the NFL, I don't know, but that's something that always um, raises the number of a draft. Andrew Luck, RG3. When you have quarterbacks coming into the league, more people watch the draft. You had a lot of skill position players, wide receivers. Yep. That also helps the draft. And then finally, you had a third-day story, and Michael Sam, you may never have again. You had a seventh-round pick who is, um, you know, in terms of like national, in, in terms of draft picks, he's probably the third most famous draft pick that went, probably behind Sam and Clowney, and maybe more people know Michael Sam than Jadavion Clowney now. So just in terms of name recognition. So I think that added more of the ratings factor than the three-day draft. But the three-day, I mean, I'm sorry, than the pushback. There's no doubt, though, the pushback, you get an extra two weeks of publicity, and that leads more people, I think, to watch the product. Well, you know, like going to your words of uh, being a TV show, it was a much better TV show last year. I mean, uh, offensive tackle from the MAC was the first overall pick in last year's draft. And there was several tackles. Will the league be able to resist? It seems like when things like this happen to the league, they just can't help themselves but to just do the same thing over again. Will there be foresight? In any, it, what is your sense from the networks beyond the league? Because you cover this from the networks point. Do you think the networks want to do this in May again? Or do you think they would rather go in April? Because I know in terms of like personnel guys, coaches, GMs, everyone maybe but the commissioner in the NFL, they'd love to go back to April. I think, uh, you know, I, my guess is it's split. I think a mo- I think most of the league probably wants to go back to April, but um, you know, I would think, you know, I'm, this is more of an NFL. The NFL people, I think, I would think that the more time you have to evaluate players, um, the better. So I don't know what I, I'm, I, you know, someone like Peter King would know better in terms of what do they want. But I would think the more time you have to evaluate the players, the better for you. Although I think the NFL people hate it if i remember reading because it's it's uh, it takes them away from vacations and keeps them away from their family so Can't i'm sure the, the league probably wants it up programs. a little bit the network I, i'm not sure the network really would care i think the network's going to put the draft on whenever the draft is on if you ask the networks i think they'd love to have a four-day draft because no matter what those ratings on that day are going to beat whatever espn or the nfl network has on so you ask the tv executives and i think they'd, they'd love to see a four-day draft and a three-day draft this is the first year for you that you've had uh, columns to write for both SI.com and the Monday Morning Quarterback site. Did you know that ahead of time that you were going to have columns on both, and how did you decide what information you would use on SI.com and what information you would use for the Monday Morning Quarterback version? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, Peter King, um, he asked me to write for his site, uh, so I was flattered by that. And I love the idea of being part of something new and something that they were putting a lot of resources into. So I didn't know I was going to write for him. I just didn't know what day it would be. And, you know, in terms of trying to figure out what is what, um, it's not not as hard as you'd think because King's only football to start with, and it's kind of only really inside football. So I do have a lot of freedom to do other stuff for SI.com or SI, uh, that's never going to sort of fit into King's website. Where it becomes tricky is something like the draft. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. Like, I-, I turned out I found a really good story for King, but, you know, come Thursday, I had no idea what I was going to do for him as well as what I was going to do for SI. So in some weeks, it's a little tricky, but, um, 
you know, you just sort of, the way I think of it is like, I, I just, I think of something that like, what is the hardcore football fan really going to be interested in, in relation to media? And that's usually how I, uh, approach the King stuff. The SI.com stuff can be far more general and it can be multiple sports. What did you think? Well, that's very inside Richard Deitch. That's, that's, I mean, that nobody in your audience is going to care about that, but I appreciate the question. You'd be surprised because we talk about process a lot on this show, process in so many different ways. So we're curious about process here, and I was just curious about the process there. So thank you for the answer. You're welcome. Um, I was wondering, you've always uh, obviously championed three days of Wingo. We get two days of Wingo. <laughs> three days of Wingo, right. three days of the Condor. Right. Uh, what uh, do you think overall of each broadcast this year in terms of strengths and weaknesses? Was anything better uh, on either side than it was in previous years? Did you notice an improvement anywhere? Yeah, I mean, crazily enough, I think Chris Berman was better. Not that I think he was good, but I think he wasn't as annoying and as sort of self-centered as he has been in years past. Um I, you know, the thing that I, I, I write this every year, and, and I believe it, um, is that uh, I, I think the draft analysts are just really good. I mean, I think Mayock, McShane, Kuyper are excellent, and Jeremiah, too. They all know their stuff. It's like you can't fake. That's the kind of stuff you can't fake. You know, I watch a lot of TV. Trust me, you can fake stuff. Any of us can go on a pardon the interruption and, um, and <laughs> with a little bit of preparation – Fake any answer, you know. You you had ten minutes to prepare on the Chicago Pittsburgh series. Trust me, I, I could I could you know I'd sound like Bob McKenzie in the thirty second soundbite. But the draft is hard to fake. You can't fake it. You can't have a guy picked in the fifth round from Western Michigan and just sort of you know come up with stuff off the top of your head. You got to know about that guy. And so the draft guys always impress me. I feel like they get better every year because they're really really um, they just they really know their stuff. In terms of this year, and this is what I wrote, I thought Bill Polian was just off the charts great. I mean, he really, every time the guy said something, I felt like I learned something. I felt like he's interesting, he's smart, thoughtful, and I've always been a proponent of both the NFL Network and ESPN. The third day is better than the second and first day, or the the last two days are better than the first day. They're never going to change it up because... These guys believe that the first night is about showbiz and glamour. That's why you have Berman and Dion, et cetera. But, man, if you are a true football fan, the casts on day three are better than the casts on day one. So I really liked Polian this year. I always liked Mayock. Um, and um, I even thought Ray Lewis for a debut wasn't too bad. I think a lot of people thought he was just going to tank. But, um, but, I, but I found him at least with nothing else to be prepared. It was great for those draft guys, too, to not have to worry about the University of Texas at all. You know, it's just one last school. You <laughs> yeah, great. I mean, can you imagine Texas not having a draft pick? But um, um, That was a shock. I think, I, first of all, forget shot. about Texas. Yeah. The fact that a University at Buffalo player was drafted in the right. top five picks of of the NFL draft, I cannot tell you as someone who went to that school in the 90s how insane that is to me. But but it happened. I mean, that is amazing. It is amazing. Having attended games in uh, at that school which literally like a hundred people were there it is amazing to me that buffalo now has a first round pick in the top 10 um and i wish the best for Khalil mack uh i hope the guy does really well because that is an incredible story it just it is it amazes me that someone from my alma mater went that high in the draft and it's equally as amazing for someone who in 2014 lives five minutes from there I mean, they very consistently lie about 
there being 15,000 people there every week to keep their Oh, yeah, I mean, no, look, the, yeah. Yeah, UB, UB plays fast and loose with the attendance. But to right. give them credit, uh, or not really credit, but to, I guess to sort of understand stuff, that is a hard conference to draw attendance. It just is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, this is the, the reason why... You know, the reason why you go on the road if you're Buffalo to play Ohio State is because that's, you know, one, you can get big money for those games, and two, you actually can get to play in front of, like, gigantic crowds. I mean, I lived in Michigan for a year, and it's, you know, it's it's just so... Buffalo's never going to be a football power. It's just not going to happen for many, many reasons. But it does, at least if nothing else, like, it, it does give you hope that, you know what, if you sort of... You know, maybe you get lucky in recruiting and you can get a Khalil Mack because he, for whatever reason, was not on the radar of the Ohio States or yeah, the. He was a zero star um, prospect, I believe. I don't, I don't say again? I think he was a zero star prospect. Which is that, that, right. that to me is That's why recruiting is just weird and high school and all that stuff. Can you think about this? This guy is a. That was the fifth pick in the draft, and only four years earlier was a zero-star prospect. That's incredible. Right. Four picks, before, you know, and Clowney, who was the number one overall, and he was, you know. Right up to draft day, there was discussion. It could be either one of those guys being correct. Yeah, I mean, I think in a different year, Matt could have gone number one, depending on you know need and stuff like that. Yeah, and mentioning about how UB is never going to be a football power, the real sin is that they're not a D one hockey power. They don't even I have agree. a D one hockey I, team. You know that even is, when I was in school yeah. there, it was no one ever really sort of understood that. Could you get some rich donor to just donate money and start a hockey program? Because you would be able to be great pretty fast with the right coach and the right program. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It'll be interesting to see with Canisius now that they have their own rink and a really beautiful rink that Pagula is building right attached to the HSBC arena, what they can maybe do with that program. But again, wrong conference, so it's probably not going to matter. A uh, couple other things I want to ask you. You're talking with Richard Deitch from Sports Illustrated. Uh, obviously, the biggest story of the whole entire draft was the Michael Sam thing, and it seemed like both networks had their own way to cover it, and maybe that had a little bit to do with access as opposed to maybe how they would cover it in an ideal world. But I know that at the time of the pick, ESPN had the live shot of of the bar in Los Angeles as in – as opposed to the NFL Network, who at the time had video of him playing games on the field, highlights, highlight package. Uh, did either one do it right or wrong? Or um, They just did it different. I think yeah. both networks actually covered Michael Sam really well. Uh, really well, in fact. One, they were totally honest about his, cap- his, limit bill, his limit, you know, limitations as a player. They addressed him as a football player and... Uh, um, why he wasn't going to be going until the sixth or seventh round? They touched a little bit on the sociological and ESPN. I think much more. Um, you know, ESPN, as I wrote, they 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 got lucky, but they got lucky by their own, their own smart thinking. They had a they have a camera crew following around Sam because he's getting an ESPY, the Arthur Ashe Award, and so they had a camera set up at his. Um, I think he was at his agent's parents' home, so they got the money footage. Um, and as it just so happened, he. You know, he celebrated. Um, he celebrated like most draft picks with his loved ones. He kissed his boyfriend uh, during that celebration. That's footage we've never seen before, which I think is pretty cool and very honest. And so, I think both both networks did good. The NFL Network actually got Jeff Fisher pretty close to after they made the pick, because Michael Silver was in the uh, the draft room with the Rams. So both networks actually gave you a lot of good stuff. I thought on Sam. ESPN obviously is going to get the most famous photo or the most famous video because they literally had a camera there. And the reason they had a camera there was because they're doing a larger piece on him for the ESPY. So that's just good planning and, um, 
you know, some good timing and, you know, above everything else, they all, they all got lucky. I mean, he was seven picks or eight picks away from not even being drafted. And then you don't get that moment and you don't get that, um, you know, that sort of famous bump at the end of the draft. Yeah, the NFL Network had great stuff from St. Louis all weekend, too, even including, they did. including them kind of trolling uh, Rich Eisen a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you've seen when they put his uh, picture up on the on their screen, on the inside, kind of like, I don't know, if, I guess you would have NFL Network is trolling Rich Eisen, their own guy? So, so, uh, no, I, I said that wrong. The Rams were trolling Rich Eisen a little bit. Oh, the Rams were. The Rams okay. were yeah, the Rams put up a picture of him. It was a joke that... It, during the, oh, that he would be drafted. They put right, his measurables right, up. Right when they went. Yeah, that's pretty. That's funny. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, and I, you know, described it horribly. Uh, anyway, only a couple more minutes left with uh, Richard Deitch. Uh, a couple other things going on in the spring. Obviously, the NBA, the NHL playoffs. How do you think uh, the various partners have done with uh, covering the playoffs? Uh, which I believe have both also been pretty successful ratings wise this year as compared to other years. Very, yeah, great numbers are up on both. Viewership's been great. I mean, the NBA obviously gets a boost because of the Clippers story. Um, you know, that Donald Sterling stuff sort of falls um, beyond just basketball, and there's a curiosity factor, I think, with the Clippers. So those games are going to get higher. But, I mean, you know, keep in mind, the NFL, I'm sorry, the NBA had uh, all those games sevens in round one, and lanes in any series um, is always going to get you great ratings. Game People watch game sevens, even if they're just mild sports fans. And, the NHL, same thing. They've had some great, <laughs> excuse me, some great game sevens, and their the NBC's coverage is excellent. I think uh, you know, you wish it wasn't on NBC Sports. You'd love to see it on maybe a little bit of a bigger network that more people have. But um, the coverage is good, man. I mean, the production quality is really strong. You know, when Mike Emmerich does a game, it's great. I don't always love everybody in that studio. You know, Milberry and Rowanek are not that great to right. me, but it's you know they they treat the sport like a real sport. And I appreciate that. And the games are really thrilling, man. It's so much fun to watch playoff hockey. So I think both networks, um, you know, or all three networks, I guess, NBC, uh, NBC Sports Network, TNT, and ESPN have done good work in terms of uh, pushing the playoffs. But this year in particular, they've just gotten, you know, they've kind of gotten fortunate that we, we're just seeing so many Game 7 type of stuff. Um, it's just been fun to watch. I heard It was one of the SI guys. I can't remember exactly who. One of the one of the guys who's done the back cover recently, I know I've had him on it, and blank on his name for whatever reason, he tweeted about how he thought that the increased outdoor games during the regular season had kept him a little bit more interested in the NHL and had him looking forward to the playoffs a bit more. You think that might be a factor in them doing a little bit better in the ratings? Well, I think the, the, the outdoor games definitely got them higher ratings, so when the numbers are up for the season, that's the reason. Um, whether that gets you psyched about hockey, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know if it. Uh, I don't know if it carries over. Um, it could, but um, I think the playoffs are just their own unique animal. I think they like. I think people are going to watch playoff hockey because they're in the playoff hockey, and you know, I can tell you the the numbers or the viewership is going to always rely on hockey um, on what cities are in the finals. Um, it's still a regional sport, so if you're NBC, trust me, you're rooting for um, Chicago, which is a big market and a great hockey market to get to the final. And you're probably now rooting for New York, which obviously mega market um, and American teams. Montreal, Chicago, though, would be a pretty great series, too. Just when you have a Canadian team there, it's an old school original six team like Chicago. So um, NBC should do well. Um, they, they, you know, I guess if it's Montreal, you know, Kings or something like that, that would be a little lower than everything else. But um, but I think I think people are going to. 
there's a lot of interesting stories in terms of the teams left in the in the playoffs. So I think the ratings are going to be pretty good for for NBC. How how much do you think the fact that I may win the NHL.com bracket challenge will increase their ratings? You think people will be following my path to the uh, 15,000? No, I don't, I don't think anybody's. I don't think any human being will watch the NHL because you may win some bracket challenge. I, w- I wish you luck in winning the bracket yeah. challenge. What 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 is the prize? Uh, it's some kind of like off-road vehicle or the fifteen. Oh, that's a real price. Or the fifteen thousand dollars cash, which I would probably. You lose. actually lead this thing right now in, in, in the whole country. I'm in fourth place, but I have a clear path to victory. Like there's fourth way- place out of how many people? Uh, it's about five hundred thousand, I believe. Holy cow! Now that's amazing. Yeah, I, I will. I will root for you and wish you luck. Yeah. Fourth, fourth in out of five hundred thousand is incredible. Do you get anything for finishing top ten? Uh, it's top three. But the, the, oh, the so only, you really need to get you need only, to get one more spot. The only thing I can do is win. And what is your pick? So I would need the Ducks to beat the Kings in this round. That could happen. And obviously. then I need the Ducks to beat the Blackhawks and win the Cup. The East. I has, think that's a little tougher. But the East not has no bearing, and the East bracket doesn't matter. So I. I so roll. you're basically you're rolling with the Anaheim. Basically, yeah, that's the, that's everything. The Ducks. Well, if they somehow the can win tonight, you you're going to be feeling great because that's. You know, then they're two rounds away, and they're definitely Anaheim can definitely beat the Rangers in Montreal. I do think the Blackhawks would be tough, but Anaheim, I think they can definitely beat the Eastern teams. Yeah, I'm so bummed I didn't pick the Blackhawks too, because if I would, then it would just be me and one other guy, and it would come down to the tiebreaker. And I almost feel like I'd rather go to go to bat at that. that Who would get the home? I should know this, but I don't. Who would get the home ice advantage between Anaheim and Chicago? Uh, Anaheim. Oh, all right. So that's that's that would be great for you. Yeah, that that helps, and they get the you know game seven at home tomorrow. But yeah, I, 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 generally speaking, I mean it doesn't always happen. Obviously, we right. saw what the Rangers did, but I like home teams in game seven. I, I think you know I, I'm sure historically it's got to be seventy five percent or something like that that they won. I'm all in with the goalie who's played uh, you know three three NHL playoff games playing game seven tomorrow. So I feel well, great. regardless, they're 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 here. I mean, right. you know, they're they're if he wins tonight, that's a win. All right. All right, uh, you have other things to do than talk about. That's bracket. true. Yes, <laughs> but now I have I have I have a bracket challenge guy to root for. So that's, that's right. Exciting. Thank you, at Richard Deitch on Twitter, uh, fighting with uh, the big guys these days. Like, uh, no, I have no fights lately. I've, I'm, I'm, it's all peace and love. Well, peace and love. We haven't talked to you since you fought with the CNN guy who is so relevant. Oh, Pierce Morgan. Morgan. Well, that's, 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 right. that's me representing. That's me representing the light. Right, right, right. You got to praise me for that. I loved it. Loved it. Love you. Thank you very much for being on. Today. All right, guys. Uh, Talk or I should say guy, but all right, uh, Steve. Yep. Be well there in Buffalo. All right, thank you. See you. All right, I believe I want to thank Richard Deitch for being on the podcast today, but as he said, it's a fluid situation. Uh, welcome back to three opinions that Don and I hold that go against the grain of the majority yeah, that's segment. A, that's a long segment. Title. Segment that still doesn't have a name and is clearly in beta. Yeah, name this segment, maybe. Yep. Someone out there. We're going to try it another time and uh, see how it goes, as they say. So kick us off, Don. All right, my first one. I A uh, little glimpse into the future here. I talk about this in my one last thing a little bit. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to say spring is the worst season in the, the year of the four. And... It's largely because I'm a dog owner and largely because I live in Buffalo. But Too much this, rain. This spring season, it goes from snow to mucky ground, and then it's just rain after rain after rain. 
until it hits 80, which it did now. So, I mean, now the spring and me are cool, but, like, for two-thirds of the spring, it sucks ass in Buffalo, and I don't I don't like it. <laughs> now, the, the generally, the popular opinion would be that winter is the worst season. Probably. Right. But so I can deal with winter. spring is the worst. I, I bought a snowblower a couple of years ago, so, and, I mean, that's actually now that you got a kid, like, Snowblower is time out of the house. It's almost a little peaceful. You go this isn't one of mine, but I guarantee the season I consider the worst would be everyone else's number one. Summer. Summer. Just too hot. It's just way too fucking hot all the time. Yeah. I can't stand it. Yeah, see, at least I, for me, the summer, the, the ground is dry as a dog owner. I have a pool, so there's some redeeming qualities. Like, for me, the spring, like, two-thirds of the time, it sucks. 90% of the time, I just want to be inside in air conditioning during That's summer. true. I do have air conditioning in my house along with a pool, and half the time, the air con- my wife keeps the air conditioning so cool that it's like, why would I want to go outside now? I'm, yeah. not, I'm not in the mood to go in a pool. I'm almost cold. Too hot. It's so cold. All right, my first one today, you got the clip ready, or do you want me to uh, do I, a different one? Do first? the next one. All right, uh, my first one today, it's generally I would say the common opinion is that the Beatles are the greatest band of all time. I'm going to say it's Led Zeppelin, and my argument is that the Beatles weren't incredible musicians. They were more incredible songwriters, and Led Zeppelin is both. They're incredible songwriters, even though sometimes I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. And they stole a bunch of their songs. I don't know anything about that. Uh, people have been saying people steal songs since Elvis and the Blacks. I mean, I have no idea. Yeah, I think Led Zeppelin's in the same same category. Yeah, that may or may not be true, but my guess is they probably came up with a lot of original ones too. Sure. So uh, I'm just going to say Led Zeppelin is better than the Beatles is basically my opinion. I'm not saying either one of them is the best of all time because it's not that segment. I'm just saying that Led Zeppelin is a much better band than the Beatles. Do you think that's the comparison that comes up the most? I, I think it was probably the Beatles. Usually, and the, the Stones. Beatles and the Rolling Stones right. are compared, um, but I have no. I, I would say the Beatles are better than the Rolling Stones, and I would generally think that would be the majority. That's probably right. Uh, but I would think the majority would say the <laughs> Beatles are better than Led Zeppelin. All right, I'm going to slip in a non-Bills NFL take here. And I've said this before, but it's probably controversial. I'm going to say Jerry Rice is the best NFL player of all time. And what I base that on is there's no argument for number two uh, at his position. You know, you're not going to say maybe when Calvin Johnson's career is done, maybe then you can come back to me with an argument. But if I said Joe Montana is the best quarterback of all time, you're going to get people that are going to come back with somebody different. Yeah, and I think nine times out of ten, the the opinion is going to be X quarterback is the greatest NFL player of all time. Johnny Unitas, Joe Montana, right. Tom Brady. But I think because Jerry Rice really has no peers in his at his position, I think he's the best player of all. That's the only way I can think to judge a wide receiver against a quarterback. So I'm going to say he's the best player of all time. Again, not one of mine, but I would say Bobby Hebert. <laughs> See the guy that knocked himself out on the wall? No, that's Gus Farad. That's right. <laughs> uh, no, I was just kidding about Bobby Avery. Another great name. Uh, but uh, all right, um, you got that clip ready? I do. Uh, I'm going to say that George Papard outacted Audrey Hepburn in Breakfast at Tiffany's. There isn't a Breakfast at Tiffany's poster hanging on a wall in America that doesn't isn't just a picture of Audrey Hepburn smoking. Okay. And believe me, she's beautiful. I agree. And looks beautiful in the movie. And does a fine job, but George Papard is steals every scene he is in in that movie and completely outacts her. And I have proof. Holly, I'm in love with you. So what? So what? So plenty. I love you. You belong to me. No, people don't belong to people. Of course they do. 
I'm not going to let anyone put me in a cage. I don't want to put you in a cage. I want to love you. The same thing. No, it's not. Holly? I'm not Holly. I'm not Lula May either. I don't know who I am. I'm like Cat here. We're a couple of no-name slobs. We belong to nobody, and nobody belongs to us. We don't even belong to each other. Stop the cab. What do you think? This ought to be the right kind of place for a tough guy like you. Garbage cans, rats galore. Scram! I said take off! Speed it! Let's go. Driver. Pull over here. You know what's wrong with you, Miss Whoever You Are? You're chicken. You've got no guts. You're afraid to stick out your chin and say, okay, life's a fact. People do fall in love. People do belong to each other. Because that's the only chance anybody's got for real happiness. You call yourself a free spirit, a wild thing. And you're terrified somebody's going to stick you in a cage. Well, baby, you're already in that cage. You built it yourself. And it's not bounded in the west by Tulip, Texas, or in the east by Somaliland. It's wherever you go. Because no matter where you run, you just end up running into yourself. Yeah, I mean, clearly. The best <laughs> actor in that scene is George Papard. I have not seen Breakfast at Tiffany's. You should. Yeah? Shoot with uh, your wife. Something about those older movies, like every woman in all those older movies is gorgeous. Yeah, get some wine. Watch Breakfast at Tiffany's. Drink it, or make your wife drink it. Well, she's pregnant, so she can't have too much. Oh. She won't have any. Save it till after, then. But yeah, some yeah. of the, yeah. All right, my l- last controversial opinion, and I may have discussed something along these lines before, but I'm going to say the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on Nickelodeon is the best television rendition of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm. Uh, I haven't read the original comic books, which I really should. I know there's decent collections out there, so I can't argue like for or against that. But I'm going to say as far as TV media goes, this is the best version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I might say it's better than any movie that's come out, too. For some reason, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles can strike a nerve with our listeners. The most debated, greatest of all time was when you declared whoever you declared the greatest Ninja Turtle. I said Donatello, and they yeah. said Le- everyone said Leonardo. But yeah. I, yeah, I, Donatello has no baggage in Leonardo. Leonardo is the captain. He's got two swords, it, never uses he's them. He's the captain, though, right? He's the, ca- he's, so yeah, he's the main pick. man. Yeah. yeah. You like, you like captains. Yeah. My <laughs> last pick would definitely be the red one. Raphael, hothead. Yeah. It's just, he needs to get his shit together. Yep. He's not mature enough to be in the group, in my opinion. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right. Uh, one more, and it's sort of George Papard related as well. And I know there's many people out there going to scream and say, come on, it's The Wire. <laughs> or, come on, it's Breaking Bad. Or, you got to be kidding me. Everybody knows it's Mad Men or The Sopranos or whatever you might counter me with. But one show that's better than all of those is The A-Team. And I know this is not the greatest of all time <laughs> segment. I don't mean to make it that. And maybe we're learning as this segment is in beta that it's a little too close to the greatest of all time segment. Well, it might be because I picked like three greatest of all time but things. But just 
watch a few episodes. There's never been TV better than the hour put forth by NBC for four glorious years because the fifth season is a joke. Throw it out right out of your set when you buy it. But the A-Team is its the best television ever made. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. We're going long already. But since you phrased it that way, the best thing ever put on TV, paraphrasing what you said, what is better, the A-Team, and I don't know how you can judge it, either as by its best episode or as a whole, or WrestleMania three, <laughs> as the best thing ever to be broadcast on a television. Do I get an out because you had to pay to watch that on television? I mean, it would be different, but if we're Uh, just saying the best thing ever to be broadcast over airwaves. Still the A-team because I get hours and hours and hours of that versus only three hours of WrestleMania 3. Okay. If you would say the best three hours of the A-team versus the three hours of WrestleMania 3. Then it'd be tight. Oh, man, would it be tight. (laughs) If you like picking on your kids. Yeah, that would be really, really difficult. And then if you even wanted to throw in like the first time HBO aired The Karate Kid. Right. And you want me to pick, you know, the Karate Kid 1 versus WrestleMania 3 versus the best three hours of the A-Team? I watched the uh, Will Smith Jr. version of oh, the Karate Kid. Oh, God. I don't... Yeah, you don't, I don't need to watch it again. I don't need to ever watch that garbage. <laughs> As a matter of fact, that's the end of this segment. We'll be right back with Tim Graham, I think. All right, I know I want to thank Kenny Albert for being on the show, and I think I also want to thank Richard Deitch <laughs> and Tim Graham for being on the show. We'll see how it all plays out. Uh, one way or another, it will be another splendid podcast from us. You can find all of our other splendid podcasts, including last week's where we had uh, Robert Klemko from the Monday Morning Quarterback and Jonah Carey on the podcast at www.sports-casters.com. You can also uh, find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. I encourage you to email us or tweet us about our opinions. Uh, We did get a tweet from someone last week that said regarding your opinion number two, which I keep forgetting to look. Mine? No, mine. Okay. uh, He said regarding your second opinion, and actually it could be yours. He just said regarding your second opinion. I always assume people tweeting at okay. sportscasters are talking to me. Right. But they might have been talking to you. Yeah, I don't get many tweets they regarding said, sportscasters at Don Like Sports. No fucking way. So one of our second opinions last week uh, has fallen under the no fucking way category wow. by the listeners. Yours had to be – I remember your three – Yours was 10 was better than never. I think I can look very quickly at what my second one was by simply just opening last week's, uh, you know. Well, my first one was totally an opinion. It was about not hating the Patriots. Was my second one saying Yours were all Bills related, Right, was my second one the Bills are a top 10? Oh, my second one was the NHL is better than the NBA. I bet that's that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, that might be it. Yeah. Because even the one where I said the Bills are a top 10 roster, you'd have to do some effort to, to... just debunk that one. Whatever, buddy. Uh, <laughs> but you're more than welcome to email us or text us your – tweet us your opinions at sports underscore casters or email them, the sportscasters at gmail.com. Uh, we are uh, usually on iTunes and Stitcher and all that. If something doesn't look right on one of those streams that you use, please let us know because I kind of think that all the podcasts seem to be everywhere – 
but I've been noticing like sometimes I'll open one app and like a description's missing hmm. uh, or maybe that's out of order a little bit. If you notice something, just let us know so we can clean it up and not look like the biggest amateur jerks in the world. <laughs> uh, but just let us know if the way you listen isn't working or if uh, it looks stupid. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and again, the sportscasters at gmail.com and uh, at sports underscore casters. And uh, Don's up for one last thing. Yeah, one last thing for me today. Short and sweet, uh, Mother's Day, we did the usual running around. I am from a divorced family, so I've had two moms since I've been like six years old or so. We got more moms and dads in this podcast. Oh, yeah. I mean. We lead the league in moms and dads. Yeah, we lead the league in moms and dads and podcast uh, hosts. Yeah, so I was at my wife's mom's house and my kid took a nap. So I, she lives close to my dad and my stepmom's house. So I ran, took the opportunity to run out, go to my stepmom's house, say happy mother's day and all that fun stuff. And we went for a walk around the Knox estates. You ever been there? No. Owned by Seymour, Seymour and Nori, right. whatever. Yeah. Uh, it was beautiful. And it just made me think how much this winter gave me like cabin fever. Like I didn't even know I had. And that's basically my last thing. It's just, it's getting sunny out. It's phenomenal. And make being outside makes me feel good. And I'm pumped for the summer. I'm pumped for camping and grilling and fires and all that fun stuff. Uh, I might use it as a lame opinion, but I'll come back to seasons. Uh, and my opinions, I'm saying come back because right. we haven't recorded it. We already did that, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I'm just pumped for the nice weather. Uh, it does happen here in Buffalo despite what you might think. All right, one last thing for me today. We both uh, tend to be uh, fans of college sports at some level each. Um, <laughs> one of the great things about college sports, and I think Don will agree, is how the particular team can bring prestige to a university. You know, like when you say Michigan, you can think of Michigan football and the big house and 100,000 people being there, how great that must be, or the Ohio State University, or when a team like Yale wins a national championship, (laughs) how great that is for uh, an Ivy League school in this day and age, uh, or Union even this year, a school without scholarships and only 2,000 students can win it. It brings honor and prestige to the university. Other times, sadly, sports can also uh, bring... Uh, some kind of negative impact on the school, like the Joe Paterno and uh, uh, what's the jerkoff's name, the uh, Sandusky Sandusky thing it can can kind of sully the reputation sure, of a, yeah. of a of a university. And sometimes the NFL draft can happen, and uh, a school like Texas can be completely humiliated. Uh, and uh, let me name some universities for you, Don. <laughs> okay. Uh, how about Lynn? Lindenwood University. I, I heard that one because I think I happened to be watching when that guy got drafted. Oh, yeah, okay. So congratulations to Lindenwood for having a player drafted. The fighting. Uh, Pittsburgh State. I swear to God when I heard this that it had to be made up. Pittsburgh State. Yeah. Not Pitt? Nope. Pittsburgh State. Not Miami of Pittsburgh? No, no, no. <laughs> player drafted. Uh, Bloomsburg of Pennsylvania. Bloomsburg. Yep. Player drafted. I wonder if this is going to be a thing. These guys must all be freaks, like, on paper. McGill University oh. player drafted. Maine, a hockey school. Yeah. I didn't even know they had D1 football. I figured it would have been D3, and it might be, or sure, D2. Sure, sure. McGill, or Maine, uh, player drafted. Concordia of St. Paul. 
Okay. As opposed to the Concordia where uh, Jonah Carey went in Montreal, which right, I think yeah. would be why it's uh, St. Paul. Player drafted. Uh, Northwest Missouri State. I think I know where this is going. Another one that sounds uh, <laughs> I hadn't heard this made up. That's amazing. To has me. had a player drafted. Uh, Saginaw Valley. Player drafted. And Princeton Ivy League school. Player drafted. That brings me to Texas. Don, how many players do you think Texas had drafted in the seven rounds of the NFL draft? I'm going to guess, based on your setup, that they had none drafted. That's right. Zero players from (laughs) Texas were drafted in the NFL draft. The entire NFL draft. Rounds one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Zero names called. How does that happen? And, by the way, four years ago or however many years ago, when this class of seniors were about to enter the University of Texas, they were ranked as the number five recruiting class in the nation. Wow. Zero players drafted. Texas, you suck. 